Hello, survivalists, and welcome to The Crux. I'm your host, Tessa King, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host and sister. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction, Tessa. It's Casey McIntosh. And Casey McIntosh. <laughs> so today our story is not one that you will love if you hate flying. What kind of flying? Like getting in an airplane and oh, going from yeah. point A to point B? Yeah, yeah. If you get nervous to... about that, okay, then this is not going to alleviate your fears. So sorry. <laughs> Duly noted. Yeah. The story is about Nicholas Alkmaid, who is an Englishman, part of the Royal Air Force during World War II. Oh, cool. He had to face a difficult decision when the bomber he was in was gunned down by the enemy. So first, for the record, I just want to say back to the alleviating your fears and all that stuff that you were just saying, Yeah, is that these bombers were like, none of them were safe. Yeah. If you've seen pictures, they're big and bulky and they just don't look like they would stay airborne airborne yeah they're super heavy did you get any idea about how much these things weigh i mean i read unbroken and so they talk about how clumsy those are if anyone's read that book also a great survival story yes (laughs) put that on the shelf for later yeah that's a long one so (laughs) we'll get to it eventually that could be a series really i feel like it needs a reread before we do it any justice to be honest yeah i agree but anyway they're big bulky aircrafts and so our man nicholas alkmaid he was from norfolk hope i said that right it sounds right he was a gardener before signing up for the royal air force or ref and world war ii he trained as an air force uh tail gunner and served in the raf 115 squadron in other words, he would defend the aircrafts by gunning from the rear of the plane. Usually these were manned by like six guys. Okay. In other words, he was not the pilot of the aircraft. So Alkmaid was on a crew that flew an Avro Lancaster MK-2 bomber. It was able to carry the largest bombs used by the Royal Air Force. The bomber that Alkmaid and his crew flew in was called the Werewolf. Oh, I like it. I know, it sounds edgy. In March of 1944, Alkmaid and his crew were involved in a bombing raid over Berlin. They were able to complete their mission over Germany, aka get rid of all their bombs. But on their return, high winds took them way off course. And unfortunately, this placed them right over the Ruhr region of Germany, which had a very high concentration of defenses, specifically to take down enemy planes. You can probably tell where this is going. It's not going up. (laughs) It's going down, (laughs) down, down. You're right. Werewolf was attacked from below by a German aircraft. The RAF bomber sustained severe damage to one of the wings and the fuselage. The plane was set afire, and the crew knew at that moment that the plane was just not going to make it. The pilot ordered the crew to prepare for an emergency exit, and the crew moved to find their parachutes in the craft. I just want to keep that sucker on my back the whole time. Yeah, just keep it with you? Yeah, just have it on, ready to go. I'm not really sure what protocol would be, but you would think. Alkmaid, as a tail gunner, 
was the lone member at the very back of the plane. He was already beginning to get scorched by the flames destroying the craft, and the rubber oxygen mask was melting on his face. Uh. Yeah, it was that bad. And he's searching frantically around himself for his parachute. And as he's looking around, he's horrified to discover that the parachute, like everything else, has melted. It's on fire. Oh, no. So he's suddenly faced with this horrible decision. Would he rather burn to death with the aircraft or fall to his death? Definitely fall to your death. That would be your choice, too. It's terrible. It's terrible either way, but I do not want to be burned. Yeah. Well, and who knows how long that would take. You have to wait for the aircraft to go down. Yep. That's his decision. Same as you. He decided it was far better to suffer brief terror falling through the sky than to suffer the slower, the slower death and torment of fire. He thought that the fall and hitting the ground would be a more merciful death. So he jumped from the plane. So did he go out the end of the plane where the flames are, or did he have to go out of a different exit? You know, it didn't say, but it sounds like this is a pretty, pretty eaten up vessel. <laughs> okay, so probably lots of places of mm-hmm. exit. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And there aren't a lot of articles on this. I'm not sure. Even about his life before and after this event. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, and he's documented in a museum, but specifically like this story. But he's quoted saying, I had the choice of staying with the aircraft or jumping out. If I stayed, I would be burned to death. My clothes were already well alit and my face and hands burnt, though at the time I scarcely noticed the pain, owing to my high state of excitement. I decided to jump and end it all, as quick and clean as I could. I rotated the turret to starboard and, not even bothering to take off my helmet and intercom, did a backflip out into the night. That was the night time, too. I guess yeah. that makes sense. It was very quiet, the only sound being the drumming of the aircraft engines in the distance and no sensation of falling at all. I felt suspended in space. Regrets at not going home were my chief thoughts, and I did think once that it didn't seem very strange to be going to die in a few seconds. None of the parade of my past or anything else like that. Hmm, interesting. It is interesting, because a lot of the stories that we talk about, people think about their families in this last moment of, is this what's going to be the end? Yeah. Alkmaid fell about 120 miles per hour straight toward the ground, which I think is similar to the calculations that we talked about during um, Julianne Kopka. Yep. Her story. Yep. He would remember looking up at the starry sky and the burning bomber from which he had recently vacated, and he lost consciousness. Again, like her story. She lost consciousness, too. So... Me, personally, I've heard that people who fall from great distances often pass out prior to hitting the ground. Most likely, in this case, it had to do with a combination of the anxiety of falling from the aircraft and lack of oxygen as well. He did fall from 18,000 feet. What? Yeah, so this is one of the highest falls documented without a parachute. That's crazy. Yeah, so as you can imagine, the air is pretty thin at 18,000 feet. (laughs) Yeah. 
So I did some searching into it because, like I said, I've heard a lot of statements from people saying, oh, people who commit suicide, jump off bridges, fall out of airplanes, they pass out before they hit the ground. But that seems to be generally a myth. The only case that that would happen is due to anxiety, for sure, or because of lack of oxygen if you're really high up in an airplane. Well, and how would you even... How would you even find out? Like if right. these people are dead, where are you yeah, getting they your die. information? Right. So that's just a myth. However, it's not uncommon for someone experiencing that high anxiety, once again, to go through what they call vasovagal syncope, which I'm sure you know. You know all about that Yeah. Uh, this medical term refers to when the body overreacts to triggers. So like for us day to day, if you saw, say, somebody with, a huge gash on their leg and you feel sick to your stomach and then kind of pass out. That's, that's more like vasovagal syncope. And basically what that means is that all your blood vessels dilate and you don't have enough blood flow to your brain. Your blood pressure drops, you get nauseated, sometimes throw up and then pass out. Right. Exactly. Thanks WebMD. (laughs) (laughs) So back to Alkmaid. He woke up three hours later in the forest in deep snow He was in a pine forest. The pine trees had slowed down the descent, and luckily the snow was also able to cushion his fall, which is part of the reason he lived. How many feet in the air did you say he was? 18,000. He was 18,000 feet up in the air, and he fell all the way to the ground. Yeah. And he did not die. And he did not die. How is that possible? That just seems completely impossible. Yeah, and he had not broken any bones. Some people fall off of, like, nine-foot ladders and die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just sustained a sprained knee. Of course, he also had burn wounds. He also had pieces of plastic embedded in his skin from, like, the shield from which you look out as the gunner. Pretty crazy. So here's a quote from the RAF Museum. It said, Both of his flying boots had disappeared, probably torn from his feet as he unconsciously struck tree branches. Being of no further use, Alkmaid discarded his parachute harness in the snow. So he was prepared with his harness, but no parachute. Womp womp. <laughs> yeah. At this point in the snow, he's unsure if he'll be able to survive the night. He was in too much pain to walk because of his sprained knee, and the cold was beginning to take its toll. He did have a distress whistle, and he was able to use it, to get attention of some German civilians. He was taken to a nearby hospital where his wounds were treated, and then he was interrogated by the Gestapo. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. So things are not over. (laughs) You almost made it out alive, and now yeah, we're going to interrogate you. The Gestapo did not believe his story. They did not believe that he could have survived a fall without a parachute. Basically, they're like, you have to be a spy. You came down in your parachute and then you hit it. You're just making up this wildly unbelievable story. But then they sent out investigators and they found the wreckage of the werewolf. And they were amazed to find the remnants of Alchemy's parachute in the rubble. Oh my gosh. What are the chances that they actually would be able to find that? Yeah, right. I think it had to do with like a serial number or something because there were pictures from this museum and one of the articles I was looking at. Mm -hmm. I think that's 
more or less how they identified like it was a shoot. But well, what do I know? That's cool because otherwise nobody would know if this story was actually legit. Yeah. So it was substantiated. And then he was sent to the notorious prison camp, Stalag Luft III, in Poland, where he got to spend the next 14 months as a prisoner of war. Oh. What a lucky guy. What a lucky guy. You're probably wondering what happened to his crew. None of them survived. That's my guess. A few of them did. Four of the crew members died. James Arthur Newman, who was the pilot. Edgar John Warren, who was the flight engineer. Charles Alfred Hilder, the bomb aimer. And John McDowell, who was the upper air gunner. I like that they specified each person's role because Mm. I, as a layman, don't know the roles on a bomber. Two other crew members did survive. John P. Clearly, who was the navigator, and Jeffrey Burwell, who was the wireless operator. They also became prisoners of war after being ejected from Werewolf. John Clearly lost a leg exposed to frostbite and Mm -hmm. also sustained a collapsed lung. When he came down in his chute, he hit a tree. Like, it sounded like the tree trunk itself, not like he wasn't, like, stuck in a tree, but he hit it pretty hard on his way down. So, Alkmaid was uh, discharged from the RAF in 1946 and then found work at a chemical plant. Not long after he started his new job, he received an electric shock from the equipment he was using. Yeah. Oh my gosh. These people cannot catch any breaks. No. He reeled away and his gas mask came off his face, which exposed him to poisonous gas. He was nearly asphyxiated from the fumes before the other workers came to his aid. He stayed at this job for a while. Not long after that, he was working uh, and siphoning and a pump burst, and it sprayed Alkmaid's face and arms with sulfuric acid. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, one thing after another. Dude. <laughs> with some quick thinking, Alkmaid jumped into a nearby 40-gallon drum of lime wash, which was able to neutralize the acid. Did he know that before he jumped into it? Like, I'm, I'm oh, sure he... I'm going to neutralize myself. Yeah, I'm sure it was some quick thinking, or it was just there, and he's feeling terrible from the sulfuric acid on his body. Wait, didn't you tell me that he was a gardener before? Yes. Okay, maybe Uh he should have stuck with (laughs) plants. Yeah. Well, luckily, since he was able to do this quick thinking, he only sustained first-degree burns. So not lifelong third-degree terrible burns. But that's not it. There's one more instance. On a third occasion, he was pinned beneath a nine-foot steel door runner that fell from its mountings as he walked by. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then he became a furniture salesman because <laughs> well, enough was enough. Thank goodness. No more chemical plant. It's just so crazy. It's like Final Destination where the characters narrowly avoid death, but then it comes for them other ways. <laughs> yeah. But real life version. Just like our last story was similar in that way. One thing after another. Mm -hmm. So he passed away in 1987 at the age of 64 after many years of selling furniture, I presume. 
It's interesting how some of these guys, I mean, the life expectancy was a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. Although our grandfather who, who fought in World War II is 95. He's 96. Oh, Going sorry. on 97 in 96. November. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to end it there because he is not the record holder for the longest fall from an aircraft. Okay. What is, what is the record? What do you think? You know, so if he fell 18,000 feet, what do you uh, think is a livable distance? 20. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> The Guinness World Record for surviving the longest fall without a parachute goes to Vesna Volovic, who is a Serbian flight attendant. She fell 33,330 feet, which is 6.1 miles. That is crazy. What did she land on? Okay. Well, the aircraft went down after a briefcase bomb exploded in the baggage compartment. She suffered a fractured skull, three broken vertebrae, broken legs, broken limbs, and a fractured pelvis. She made a near-complete recovery and was not deterred from flying after this incident because she had no memory of it. Essentially, it's the same idea. She fell from 33,000 feet. So oxygen, not really a thing. Yeah. She had a history of low blood pressure as well, which is why doctors suspect she lived because it allowed her to pass out quickly after the cabin depressurized Mm -hmm. and kept her heart from bursting open or bursting totally bursting upon impact which i didn't know was a thing so i am thinking that they were she was serbian and this was her first job i'm assuming that it was over some cold terrain i'm guessing it's kind of like a similar thing So snow is the thing to land on is what you're telling me? Yes. Well, and there's other reasons that they think that she lived. The air safety investigators attributed her survival to her being trapped by a food cart and the fuselage as it broke away from the rest of the aircraft. So it kind of pinned her to the back of the craft, and so she fell with something. When the cabin depressurized, the passengers and the other flight crew were blown out of the aircraft. And they all fell to their death. She was the single survivor of this. Investigators believed that with her pinned inside, it landed at an angle in a heavily wooded and snow-covered mountainside, which cushioned the impact. So it's very similar. It's heavily wooded and it has snow, just Mm -hmm. like Alkmaid. Well, if you're nervous of flying, it may help you to know that according to the U.S. Transportation Safety Board, plane crashes actually have nearly 96% survival rate. (laughs) Wow. That's way more than I would have expected. Yeah, me too. Only 4% die. That's pretty good odds. Yeah. And if you're still worried, I looked up some survival tips for if you're going down in an airplane. Oh. Just in case you're worried on your day-to-day and you're like, what can I do to be proactive about getting on a flight? Well, let me tell you. Wear your parachute on your back. <laughs> Keep your parachute at all times. <laughs> Number one is to wear tight-fitting clothing. If there's an accident, loose or baggy things are more likely to snag on jagged edges to slow you down. Also, having long snug jeans and shirt sleeves, they can protect your limbs from sharp objects and fire. And then it says double down on fire safety by wearing clothing made from cotton or other natural materials. 
They don't burn or melt as easy as synthetic ones. So I have never thought this in depth about getting on a flight, but if you're nervous, make sure that uh, you have cotton on. <laughs> or maybe just don't get in the plane to be. Yeah, with. if you're this worried. <laughs> <laughs> and it says your shoes should be just as practical as the rest of your outfit. Boots, sneakers, and other shoes that won't fall off your feet are the smart choice when it comes to safe escape. But who knows, because Alkmaid's boots flew off his feet. Yeah. Okay, number two is pick a middle seat in the back. Time magazine studied airplane accidents from the previous 35 years. It found that seats in the back third of the plane had a 32% fatality rate compared to 39% in the middle and 38 in the front. Oh, that's interesting. It is interesting. And then furthermore, the middle seats in the back had the best odds of survival. And this kind of goes back to that Julianne Kopka story mm-hmm. as well, because she was in the middle of the row of seats and she was attached to it. And that helped cushion her fall. Yeah. Number three, follow the five row rule, which means that you want to sit within five rows of an emergency exit because it will drastically improve your chance of survival. If you have to exit makes sense. Self-explanatory Four. put a carry on under the seat ahead of you. Because broken feet and legs are very common in plane crashes. So protecting them is pivotal and quick evacuation. So you're protecting your feet because the seat in front of you isn't going to land on your feet. It'll land on your bag. Is that? Yeah, I think it's just to like prevent movement of your feet or, you know, they're kind of like wedging your feet in a raft. (laughs) Except that's more to keep you in place than not break your feet, I suppose. Number five is listen to the safety briefing. So in 2009, when that flight landed on the Hudson, Mm -hmm. only 30% of the passengers had watched the briefing. And after the impact on the Hudson, only 10 out of 150 people on board grabbed their life vests and evacuated with them. Oh, wow. That's a really low percentage. So, and I know for a fact, I don't really listen to the spiel when I get on a flight. So I'm sure most people do not listen. Yeah. Especially if you've been on a flight more than once, <laughs> like it's, it's cool. I know six is brace for impact. So if a plane is going down, you want to lean forward and keep your head close to the seat in front of you for two reasons. One is to keep flailing to a minimum. And the other is to reduce the chance of a second impact, secondary impact on a head injury. Well, sorry, second, secondary impact is a head injury on top of a head injury like what might happen if your head hits the seat in front of you multiple times during a crash the federal aviation administration recommends holding your head against the object it may hit and flexing or bending your limbs inward to keep them in place and then the last bit of advice is to stay attached to something in the event that you are in a free fall, you want to be attached to something that might help save your life, which this article mentioned Vesta Volovic because she was attached to the food cart. <laughs> this article was from Business Insider, by the way. So if you want to go check it out for yourself and feel very safe on a flight. You know, you I go. think the food cart thing is just like a pretty good plan because if she got hungry, at least she had something to eat. Yeah, because it's one of those things, again... 
you might be stranded for a bit before anybody finds you. Exactly. Like if you were in the jungle, for example. Where have we heard that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I hope you guys are all very prepared to get on a flight now. I I sure am. Me too. Tight fitting (laughs) clothes. Make sure that you're by the snack bar. (laughs) Make sure you're by the bar bar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) True that. (laughs) Well, thanks for tuning in to us this week. Uh, We love you. (laughs) If you also love us, you should go straight to Apple Podcasts and leave us a great review. Or you can be constructive with your criticisms. Just be nice. Because we need your help. Yeah, and feel free to get in touch via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, our email, which is the crux survival at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So thanks for tuning in again, and we'll talk to you next week. All okay. right, have a good week. Stay alive until next one. Bye.